Welcome to the All Souls Episcopal Parish in Berkeley, California's Sermon Podcast. Today is the second Sunday of Advent, and we hear from the Reverend Phil Brochard as he preaches on the lectionary, which is Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. As always, you can learn more about All Souls Parish or listen to more sermons on our homepage, allsoulsparish.org. When was the last time you made a significant change in your life? Not just a a technical fix or a, a tightening of the screws, but an honest to goodness change. A change of your of your patterns, of your practices, a change of your heart and a change of your mind. You remember that? Sometimes changes like this are when we stop something, like when we stop smoking or we stop drinking or we stop spending hours on social media. Other times, these kinds of changes involve starting something, like uh, getting back into relationship with a long-lost loved one or finding a new prayer practice, or starting a new diet. Sometimes it's a change like consistently asking for and giving forgiveness. Change is at the heart of today's gospel passage. It's a theme we return to each Advent as we come back to John the Baptist's fiery message in the wilderness. Now, uh, there's a particular word for this change. You may have heard me or others talk about it. It's the Greek word metanoia, change of mind. And we heard it in our passage, but it was kind of obscured. We heard it when John the Baptist exhorts those who have followed him into the wilderness to repent. Repent. Now, when you hear repent, that's that Greek word metanoia, but I want you to hear repent as in turn around, get right, come home. This kind of change has been described as a total uh, reorientation. Other people describe it as a return from exile whether self-imposed or by others. But this kind of change is always uh, a coming back to what is true. And frankly, this kind of change is really hard work. But it is necessary work. Because the dirty truth about life for individuals and for groups is that we never arrive at a point in which we don't need to change. And being willing to change, to return to God, is a fundamental Christian skill. A willingness to listen long enough 
so that we learn, a willingness to be corrected, to be reoriented. And I think that's the reason why we come back to the wilderness every year and we hear this call to repent. My guess is that somewhere in your life, I know that there are places in my life where you and I need to turn around, to come home again. Where is that for you? And if change is essential to the Christian life, this week I have been wondering, what does it take to change? And I think the first ingredient in this kind of a change is one that we actually don't give a whole lot of attention to in our culture, and that is a dissatisfaction with how things are. In order to make a change of heart, we have to be so dissatisfied with the way things currently are that we are actually willing to try something new. It's this um, necessary but hidden force. And I think that's why John the Baptist is so strident, uh, so direct, so intense. We've got this uh, resisting force. It's the, the fear of the unknown. And part of what happens when we contemplate a change in our lives, uh, if that change is going to happen, is that we have to get in touch with what is broken or out of alignment. And that means getting in touch with our sadness and our grief, maybe our despair, and even our anger. I think it's fair to say that John the Baptist is in touch with his anger. Because really, if we don't have to change, we won't. We actually have to feel in our bodies viscerally, in our gut. We need to feel these feelings, being dissatisfied. And I wonder if that's at the root, actually, of John's uh, comment about the brood of vipers. When some of the religious authorities from Jerusalem finally make their way out into the wilderness, I think they're coming to check on this wild prophet, their presence clearly strikes a nerve with John. And so he says, do not presume to say to yourselves, religious authorities, well, we have Abraham as our ancestor. I think they don't need to change. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. 
And so I wonder if John is saying, don't come unless you're sufficiently dissatisfied. If they, if we, are that comfortable with the status quo, then we won't feel the kinds of feelings we need to feel in order to change. And that can be hard, but it's essential. And I've been wondering, honest to God, if I was in, you know, by that river listening to John preach, would I have been ready to confess where I'd gone astray, ready to feel convicted enough to act? Would I have been ready to imagine another way of living? God, I hope so. Because if uh, becoming dissatisfied with the current state of life is our first step, then the second necessary ingredient for metanoia is a vision of what life could be. I think this is why Jesus spent so much time of his teaching using parables, right? In this gospel, it's parables about the kingdom of heaven is like. It's my sense that he was casting a vision for us, casting a vision of God's desire for the world, a vision that would catch people's imaginations enough so they would turn back and come to God again. There's a vision that we heard today that is enough for me. Every Advent, we return to the writings of the prophet Isaiah. And today, we heard a, a portion that we're actually focusing on this season in all souls. In this vision... On the holy mountain, the wolf and the lamb lie together, the, the leopard and the baby goat. We hear this series of images where the predators and those that they kill in order to survive, that they are living together without bloodshed. And it's a vision. It's a vision for us that created about how we can be in the world. Now, I don't know how a lion exists on straw. I don't. But I do know that you and I exist in a time where there is a poverty of the imagination. It's not that we don't have the tools or the know-how or the wealth. We absolutely do to reduce suffering and the destruction of this planet. We just don't seem to be able to sufficiently imagine it. Do you remember a time when you saw a vision of life in its fullest? When your imagination was kindled to a future that was so vivid, that was so possible, and was so different 
that you actually changed your behavior in that direction. For me recently, it has come from a book recommended by several All Soulsians called Ministry for the Future. It's a book of science fiction, and like all great science fiction, it has helped me imagine our world operating in new ways. It's set in our world 10 and 20 years from now, and it not only shows how the effects of climate chaos will cause great suffering, but it also, and this is what is novel about it, it also offers a vision for how we can change, like really fundamentally change, technologically, economically, politically, spiritually. There are these visions of completeness and of wholeness, and especially for those who are most vulnerable. And these visions have captivated my mind and my heart. And because of them, I have been strengthened in my resolve to change. That's why this vision of what could be is so important. Because if we cannot imagine a new way, we will not be able to live any other way. And so I wonder, in, in what ways, large or small, has God set a vision before you? So that's two parts about what we need in a change of heart. One is being dissatisfied with the way things are presently. Another is a vision for what they could be. And a third necessary component to inhabit a change of heart and mind is that there have to be some initial tangible ways to live that change out. This is what John means when he says that we are supposed to bear fruit worthy of a change of heart. Any change of heart needs to be enacted. We need to be able to practice it, to feel it in our bodies. And so here I'd like us to remember Luke's account of this very same scene, right? Because in Luke's account, when John the Baptist exhorts all those who are gathered at the river, they in turn ask him, okay, but what should we do? And so here's what John says. Whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none. And whoever has food must do likewise. Without those first steps, the tangible ways that tie the vision to the earth, the pull of our current existence will be too strong. 
these tangible first steps actually happened in this place several years ago. He saw this vision from God to offer hospitality to asylum seekers in our former parish house before Jordan Court was built. And that would have remained simply a beautiful vision if it weren't for the work of many here who procured beds and furniture and toiletries and food and went before our leadership body and made contacts with organizations who worked for those, with those coming out of detention. And because of those tangible first steps, we created a temporary home for those who were in need of a safe place in this country. And any change, those first steps set the course for everything that follows. If you are dissatisfied, if you see the vision of what can be, what are one or two things that you can do to begin on your way? And finally, there is an essential truth about this scene of metanoia that's at the River Jordan that can be easily lost when we hear the, the fiery words of the Baptist. And that is that those who were changing their hearts didn't try to do this hard work all by themselves. And yes, they each faced the ways that they had individually fallen short, and they each went into the River Jordan, turning their hearts to God again. But the text tells us that the people of Jerusalem and Judea went out to the river together. They collectively confessed, and they were baptized together. And when we undertake real change, lasting change, that brings us closer to the realm of heaven, friends, it will be trying. <laughs> the way of the cross is really clear about that. If we're going to engage in change that matters both for ourselves and with and for the people around us, we will experience resistance to this new day, this new way, both inside of ourselves and from others. But the kind of change that John proclaims, the kind of metanoia that Jesus leads us into is best lived out with the love and the challenge and the support and the guidance of those who walk this way with us. And the changes of heart that the realm compels, no one can do it for you, but you don't have to do it alone.